Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast. My name's Jan Orford and I'll be your host today. We're here to discuss some essentials to owning, promoting and operating a private practice. And to do that, I would like to introduce Lynn McCleary, who is a registered nurse and CDE in private practice in Toowoomba, Queensland. Lynn is the owner and director of AH Diabetes and states she's fortunate to work with an amazing group of clinicians that make her life as both a CDE and a director very easy. Lynn has worked in many different fields of nursing over her 45 years plus nursing career, but has been a diabetes educator on and off for over 25 years. Lynn believes that the way to improving people's health outcomes in diabetes is not necessarily having all the knowledge, although of course that helps, but it is how we approach the people we see, involving them in treatment and learning to go with the flow. In other words, be a listener, not a talker. And I can certainly relate to that, Lynn. So hello, and how are you today? I'm well, thank you, Jan. Great. So today we'll be covering some of the essentials of owning and operating a private practice. And I just wonder what tips you had for people wanting to start out in private practice, if you would. I suppose the most important attribute or skill is to have patience. And that's not with a T, that's with a C. It, it, it takes time and capital and good communication skills to grow your own business. And you have to allow yourself that time to do that. You have to build the trust and respect of the GP practices you are hoping to deal with and also the patients you begin to see. You have to have enough capital to start up and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a lot. I um, had a budget when I first started of $7,000 and that probably wasn't a lot of money really to start a business. You also have to be able to survive um, on very little and sometimes no income at all for at least 12 months. You have to give yourself that time to um, build, build your business and your practice up. I think probably one of the most important things, you have to really ask yourself, what do you want? How do you see your practice? How do you want it to run? Do you want to do it alone? Do you want to be a sole practitioner or do you want to um, partner with someone else? Do you want to um, employ clinicians? Do you want to see that business grow? Do you want to um, subcontract clinicians as well? When I um, moved across into private practice, the people I was working with wanted to come with me. So I think I was very lucky in that. So I knew the people I was going to work with. Um, but it also made it a very daunting because I was certainly very mindful that I was to help them, you know, live and provide um, money for them to do that, which put an extra burden on me, I suppose. When I'm looking at um, people that are going to work with, I'm going to work with, I use um, a personality profiling um, that my actually that my husband actually does, and it's called DISC. Because I want my team to be cohesive. I want them to work well. We need when we when we start a business, we need to work with people who probably complement us. So give us, you know, we, we all have our own skills that we're good at, and but we need to work with people that have other skills that complement the skills that we have. And I think that's probably one of the most important things. Work out what you need to earn to survive, then work out what you need to charge charge your patients. And I can tell you that is really difficult to do. You just, for me, I just wanted to provide that service and not have to charge anyone because that's what I was used to doing. So to actually start, have to start to think about money um, really scared me for a long time, though I'm a lot better at it now. When you're looking for rooms or 
you've got to look for something that you can afford and that's not easy. I think I'm pretty lucky living in um, in regional Queensland where probably um, the rental of rooms is, is a little bit less expensive than, say, certainly in Brisbane. Access is probably the thing that I looked at the most. How can my patients access me easily? You know, are they coming by bus? Are they coming by car? Is there going to be car park space available? Is there wheelchair access? All these things were probably one of the most important things that I looked at, as well as money and cost of rental um, when I was looking for um, somewhere to, to rent. Organise your time to visit every medical practice in your area. Include the GPs, the practice nurse, the practice manager in the meeting. Get your name out there. Be in their face, but not overly in their face, I suppose. Uh, I, I was lucky because with the girls that did come with me, they also visited the practices and we sort of shared them amongst ourselves and, and got our name out there as much as we could. We'd also been running a clinic in Toowoomba, so we already had a bit of a rapport with the GPs um, already, but it was a different kettle of fish when you actually have to start a practice and then start to charge patients for the visit, and not too many people like that. When I go to when I go to visit a practice, I am a bit of a uh, how can I put this? I don't like to take morning tea or afternoon tea or lunch with me. I I think it's about respect. I'm not a rep. Um, I'm not trying to sell them um, a product in as much as um, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sell them, I'm trying to sell my business, I suppose, um, but I'm not, I'm, I don't need to buy them, if, if that sounds, <laughs> but that sounds a bit weird when I say it like that. I'm there to assist the GP manage their patients, that's how I see, you know, I, I'm an added added factor, I'm, I'm something there to help them. You have to have a wow factor, I, I talk about a wow factor all the time, I talk about a wow factor when I'm talking to my patients. You have to have something up your sleeve that you know they don't know about. I talk about insulin pumps, I talk about the Libre meter, I might even talk about sensors and how they work and a lot of those things GPs don't know about. So when you start to give them this sort of information, I think they start to think, hold on, maybe maybe they do know something about diabetes. And I hope that answers that question a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. I think it was very practical and, and, and covering some very important issues when, when considering going into business and I can relate to the thought of not being able to charge people and so on. I think that's a very real issue that a lot of us find if, if we're looking at the private practice issue. Just on that note, I guess, are there any books or blogs or articles that you found to be particularly helpful when you were establishing your practice? I'd love to say I read heat, but I didn't. I only had two weeks to form a business because our clinic closed down at very short notice just due to funding. And I had two weeks to form a business if that's what I wanted to do. So I, I did jump in boots and all uh, because of those that, that limited time frame. I, I probably was very lucky in the fact that my husband um, runs a business and has a, has a very good business sense. So he did help me in doing the nitty gritty of stuff like an ABN, all of those sorts of things that I actually had never done before. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, sort of read an awful lot, but there are lots of um, websites that are available to you. Also visit your bank. Your bank will actually um, often have a person that um, is in charge of small business and they can run you through a budget, how to set a budget up. My husband did that for me. We, we um, set up a budget on Excel. Very easy. Just looked at what we, what we needed to cover, what was our income versus our expenditure and worked along those lines and, and then set goals for what we wanted to achieve. There's also um, a government on, on any state government, you'll find a small business website. 
that you can access and that actually sets up something really quite amazing. It looks at the like steps that you can follow to setting up a small business and they're very keen to help you um, run a small business because unfortunately most small businesses close within the first 12 months. You've just got to remember to be really cost effective. You have to, um, don't spend money that you can't afford. You've, you've got to look at what money can I afford to lose and um, and that's what you've got to stick to. It, it's really easy to be drawn in, you know, I want the best computer, I want the, the best desk, I want the, the filing cabinets, I want all of these things, but what's the minimum amount you need just to run a business to start off with? Because you can get the other stuff as you go along. I asked everyone. I'm, I'm probably more of a practical person, so I like I like people to tell me things and talk about things. So I went to people that had small businesses and asked them what worked for them. I went to um, other private CDEs and, and asked them what, what worked. I, I talked to them about the medical software they used. I wanted the cheapest software that I could possibly get, but still was functional. And, and people were very willing to give that information. And then I, you know, you'd get on and trial it and see if it's going to work for you. I also had a, felt, uh, a, a very good friend who was a consultant to other allied health practices. And she actually helped me a lot, particularly with my web page, my IT assistance. I had no idea. I've made lots of mistakes along the way. Luckily, they were big ones and didn't cost me a lot of money. But you know, you need help with the things that you don't you don't have that expertise in. You have you just have to probably sort of work things out for yourself um, and 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 do what what you find easiest. You know, are you a person that loves to read and and look into things in detail? Then that's the way you should go. Or if you're a more practical person, then maybe looking at um, going into someone's practice and saying, okay, how you know this is what I'm tr- I'm trying to do. How did you manage that? Can you show me how it all works? And getting that expertise. In, in just a way that you can understand it and, and it works for you. Great advice, Lynn. Thank you. Uh, I'm just looking at another aspect, I guess, of, of private practice, and that's the area of marketing and promotion, which is obviously fairly important in terms of creating and, and establishing a client base. How do you promote your services and what sort of promotion techniques do you find most helpful? In that case, this is a, this is a hard one because I'm not very good at marketing, and as a nurse, I'm not very good at selling myself. In fact, I think I was, um, you know, I, I, I trained a very long time ago, and I'm very good at not selling myself at all. So it was always hard to sort of come out there and saying we run a really good practice, and you know, I and I think I'm probably better at selling the people I work with rather than myself. But that's our business. I don't see AH diabetes as my business as much as our business and the people that work with it because I think we have to be inclusive and that and people you know we want to have ownership of the of the service that we provide I think I probably was lucky in the fact that we had already run a diabetes clinic in Toowoomba so we did have a um a fairly good rapport with some of the GPs we had um in Toowoomba uh we had run that under Medicare local I couldn't afford to advertise. I went to, to um, the local paper and went, oh my goodness, $4,000 to run an ad? Yes, I can't afford that. So I, I looked at you know a Facebook page. We set that up really quickly. We did a website really quickly on a, on a shoestring budget. It really didn't cost us very much at all. I looked at what else did we need? So we needed flyers and business cards. So the cheapest option for us was to go to Vista. And that's an overseas company, which I don't necessarily like to promote overseas business. I'd like to keep things in Australia. But when you're looking at costs, you just have to really go with the cheapest. And they were very cheap 
by almost 50% less. So you couldn't actually argue with that. I sourced all the email addresses for all every practice in our area and I emailed them our flyer, which contained our costs as well as, a, as in the cost for patients to see us. The clinicians I worked with and, and, and myself visited those practices then as a follow-up to answer any questions that they, they had. You have, to, you have to do all of this. There's no, there's, you don't get paid for this. And I think that's probably one of the things in private practice. You can't think of your time setting up a business as something you need to get paid back for. You, that won't happen. So if you have the mindset of, well, I'm doing this and I'm not getting paid, it's not going to work, then you can't, then, you know, maybe you have to rethink whether you want to be in private practice. Because there's a lot of time um, that you spend where there's not going to be any payment for, for that time. We provided also um, an incentive for GP practice to use our service. We, we try to think, how are we going to get other GPs that we've never been able to access before? How are we going to get them involved when now we're actually charging patients? So we sent a letter out to the GPs asking them if they'd like to use us as a preferred provider, which didn't mean they solely had to use us as that provider, but that they were more likely to refer to us and therefore we would bulk bill their patients. And we had about six practices and quite large practices join us, you know, decide to run with that. So that worked really well. And that was the, in the beginning. Then, of course, as time goes on and... and um, we needed to actually earn more money. Um, we did actually change it to a to actually being a slight gap fee. We also offered them free education service, and I see that as another way of marketing. We're getting out there to the GPs, showing them, give, providing them and their staff, their clinicians, with um, with education, and then you know showing our expertise that way. And and I suppose we and we tried to do it in a way that wasn't um, too pushy. I think I often think about what are the who are the reps that I see that I will have more time for and it's the people that give me information but don't try and push it at me too much and that's how we try to um, run our business or advertise our business is that here's this service, this is what this service provides, we are a good service in the fact that patients will often come back and just tell their doctor how, you know, how much they um, got out of coming to see us and they're happy to come back. Word of mouth in a country town is probably one of the best ways of getting um, information or marketing yourself. So in that way, we were, we were pretty lucky in the fact that we're in a, in a country town. Well, country city, it's pretty big, but it um, still acts like a country town. Thanks, Lynn. Very sage advice. And I get the sense that owning a business is both challenging and exciting, but I imagine that at times motivation can waver. And I just wonder how you stay motivated when things don't seem to be working out as you'd like them to. Yeah, th this is um, this is this is this is hard. I think I think all of us. I think it, just in our business of being a credentialed diabetes educator, we need motivation because we see lots of people who aren't motivated and we, we spend a lot of energy trying to motivate them. But in, in adding in a private business is an, extra, is an extra element to that and it's not always easy. Look, I think it's still about my clients, the people I see, is that um, you, you, you are, you're working with them and, and, you, and, them, and you can see that you're, you're making a difference to their life and that motivates me. My, um, the guys that I work with, if I'm having a, a hard day, I'll just plonk myself down in a chair in their office and, and say, oh, 
download everything to them and, and I think they probably then go into the next office and download to them and, and the poor person that's at the end of that struggles. I, I get a lot out of education events. It's the one time that I get to think. So when I go to um, the ADA conferences or you know state conferences or any, any educational event, I sit there and I think, how can I better serve the people that I see? And that includes the GPs, the patients, the community. So that, that motivates me. And then when I hear people that are talking and the, the amazing things that they're doing, that also gives me that, that drive to do better. My family are very supportive. And I think if I didn't have that support for my husband and my children, I, I think that would be really hard. Because a, a private practice takes up a lot of your time and it's not nine to five by any means. I'll often be sending um, emails at five in the morning and Jan, I know you do as well because I've received them. You have to, you have to allow that time at, you know, at whatever works for you. You know, some people send them at midnight and, and I'm always up at four. It, it's a challenge, um, but it's about making a difference. And I think if you can see that, that the service you provide makes a difference, that actually helps keep you motivated all the time. I'm luck. I'm. I just think that I am so lucky that I love the work that I do, and I always have. I've always found it interesting. There's not a day goes by that I don't enjoy what I do. Certainly, I get frustrated, um, and some days I, I sit back and I think, how could I do this better? But the moment. The day that I wake up and say I don't want to go to work today is the day that I pack it in. I see too many health professionals who continue on a job that they don't like and I don't want to be that person. Wise words. Thanks, Lynn. Einstein once said failure is success in progress and I just wonder if you could tell us about a time when you didn't succeed and how you actually dealt with that. How long do I have? <laughs> There's lots of times I haven't succeeded in, in things that I've set out to do. Um, but probably the thing that I can remember that sits in my mind the most, as a young credential diabetes educator, I, I felt that I knew it all. I felt that I had all this wealth of information that I was going to give to everyone and, um, you know, I was going to change the world in diabetes. I was pretty naive, to say the least. I'd blurt out all the, you know, I'd see a patient, I'd blurt out all of this information and then um, wonder why that person didn't do anything that I asked them to do. Um, or actually, I didn't ask them, I told them what they had to do. And I think that was the thing. When I reflect, when I started to reflect on that, I, 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 it didn't take me long to start to realise that what I, how I was presenting this information and what I was doing wasn't working because I, I wasn't having people come back because they didn't want to disappoint me in the fact that they hadn't done anything that I had suggested or told them to do. So um, I reflected a lot on that and I still reflect every day on what I, how, what, I, what I say, what I do, how I approach people and work out how I can actually do that better. So on reflection of, um, of, this, of my clinic, in those days, I sat back and started to think, now how can I do this better? Because people aren't coming back and I don't know why they're not coming back because I know everything, but obviously that wasn't enough. So I started to think, how can I, how can I change this? So I started to um, involve people in their treatment and ask them what they wanted from me. And I was quite surprised that some of the, some of the things that they were, you know, I'm, I'm thinking they wanted to know all about their medication, all of these things. And it, and it wouldn't be. It would be something else. Um, 
often it was about food, but but often it was um, you know little you know well I want to travel overseas, so what do I need to do about those sorts of things? Well, that was way down on my list when I was first educating people. Um, so we we I started asking them what they wanted, why, and how how can we work together to achieve their goals? So setting goals, and they were their goals, not my goals. I think now we call it motivational interviewing. We just didn't have a word for it in those days. But also patient-centered care. And I think sometimes as clinicians, we forget that the patient is the center of that care. It's not the GP. It's not us. It's the patient. And it's really what does that patient want? If something isn't working, you have to reflect on why it is and then work a way around it. Don't be afraid to ask for help from others and... um and and sort of, I, I, I even to this day, I will be frustrated with, say, um, what I'm doing with someone and, and things aren't working and I'll go and talk to one of the guys and I'll say, you know, I've, I've done this, this and this and I can't, but nothing seems to be working. What do you think? And they'll come out with this other side of things and you go, oh, why didn't I see that? That that makes perfect sense. And then you give that a try and it might work, might might not work. Use other people's knowledge. People people see things differently than we do and you just have to ask for their help. And I think that's one of one of the most important things is that um if if we all I don't like to use the word fail, but we all do things differently and um some things work and some things don't. But if we can ask for other people's advice and don't be ashamed to do that. Don't be, you know, don't be arrogant enough to think that we know it all because we certainly don't. Um, ask, ask for help and you'll be surprised how willing people are to help you but also um, what great ideas people have that you may never have thought of. So I think that's pretty, pretty amazing. Thanks, Lynn, for sharing that. I'm sure many of us can relate to the frustrations that you talked about. What part of owning a private practice do you most enjoy? And I guess on the flip side, what part is the most difficult for you? I love the flexibility. I love doing things our way or my way sometimes. Sometimes I do put my foot down and say I'd like to do it this way. Not having to submit a business case to justify it. It's fantastic. If someone has a great idea, let's do it and let's do it now. That that is, I mean, I've I've um, worked for um, health for a long time, and and I don't know how many business cases I've had to submit and then wait twelve months for them to be approved. Oh, the it took me a good twelve months to realise I didn't have to do that. I kept thinking, now you know, I need to write a business case and I need to actually send it to someone, but that someone would be me. So it was <laughs> it was quite. It took me um, quite a while to get around the fact that I didn't have to do a business case. It was a great idea and let's just do it. I don't see that this business, as I said before, is my business. I see it as our business. So it's about sharing the, sharing the business with everyone. And I think, again, um, that makes you feel like you're not alone. Even though your names <clears throat> on, the, on, the, on the documents to say that you own this business, it really is our business. Uh, and I think that makes a difference to a business and it also almost feels like it takes a bit of pressure off me as well. The difficult part about owning a business is the time that it takes. It eats into your um, leisure time. There's not a moment that I don't think about how we can do things a little better and I think that's probably because there are other people in the business as well. It's not just reliant on me. Um, I have accounts to pay so, you know, I need to I need to um, work on those and, and as a nurse, I am not, good at 
at um, doing spreadsheets, doing accounts, doing any of those things. So I have a great bookkeeper that helps me with that. And again, it's knowing what you're good, what your skills you're you're good at, and the skills that you aren't, and then getting the people in to complement those um, skills that you need help with. Certainly, doing the accounts is not my forte, and that's why I have people that um, that do love to do accounts, and that always surprises me that people actually love that work and um, they're more than happy to do that. But, you know, finding the right person and again, looking at the cost of things, you can't do that until you actually start to um, to make your business work. And we certain, I certainly didn't have a bookkeeper for a very long time and had to do all the accounts myself. And I did really appreciate then how difficult that can be. But that's probably the thing that I really, it's the time and, and doing those um, tasks like bookkeeping and, and accounts that I find the most difficult. I can relate to that Lynn, thank you. So diabetes as we know is a, a quite a complicated condition and I guess people with diabetes are at risk for many complications and I just wonder in a private practice scenario how you establish a multidisciplinary referral network to to address those issues. Again I think we're probably pretty lucky in Toowoomba because we are a, a country city. Uh, we do have lots of um, PHN, so the Primary Health Network have lots of events that include Allied Health. They're getting, they're doing more and more of those sorts of things. So, I attend any meeting, anything that I can to um, promote not only promote promote our business, but find out what other services are out there. And you know, look at. I ask my patients what services they actually attend, why they attend them, how did they find them. You know, try to find out probably you know what is the what is the better podiatrist or dietitian or whatever. But we also here um, in our practice, you know, we started off with a dietitian and and a few diabetes educators. We now have three dietitians that work part time and um, credential diabetes educators and we're just about to um, have a podiatrist join us and that's just sort of happened. I didn't even go looking for them. People, um, we were lucky enough that people often approached us and, and asked if we might be interested in, in them joining. So I think that's probably a little unusual. It doesn't seem to happen to a lot of people. So we were lucky in that. I think it's just getting yourself out there. You've got to, you've got to see what services are available. I would use the Primary Health Network as a catalyst for that. Seeing, um, what other services in, do some door knocking. Go around, meet people, introduce yourself. This is my service. This is what I provide. I think, um, you know, and, and, you know, we, we really only want to, um, to refer to people that we think are knowledgeable and, and have a good service. Just, like people will refer to you if they think the same about your service. So um, it's just getting yourself out there, meeting people, um, networking as much as you can. Take, whenever you go anywhere, you make sure you've got your business cards with you. You make sure you've got some flyers in your bag so that you can actually get your, your name out there and, and go do some door knocking. And ask your patients. That's probably one of the biggest things. Ask your patients what, um, how have they found the services that they've actually gone to. Thanks for that Lynn. Do you ever find that you need additional referrals outside of your team care arrangement and if so how do you handle that? Oh team care arrangements aren't they lovely. Five visits a year. Yep. Four to the podiatrist and one to the diabetes educator. It's you can't survive on TCAs alone. There's there's you can't run a business. So that's why we've actually had to introduce a gap payment to um to 
particularly our initial our initial consultation. So um, if you if you have TCAs, if you only run on TCAs, you'll have to have a larger a larger gap payment that people have to pay, and people are reluctant to pay for things that they haven't had to pay for previously. You have to look for different funding. That's the only way to survive in a private practice. And you have to look outside the square. So you can also use your type 2 group education program that Medicare has. And we certainly do that. And we're fortunate enough to be in a premise now that has an education room. So we have a room where we can run a group. So that actually is works very well for us. And we um, run education groups all the time. But look to your primary health network to what tenders they have available. And don't just think, oh, it's not di- they're not diabetes specific. Look at other things. So, you know, they've got healthy living programs. Well, that ties in with diabetes. How can we fit that into the service that I provide? They've got after hours care. Okay, well, what else can we do for that? They, they might have um, mental health, all right? Depression and diabetes go hand in hand. How can we actually access that for our service? So don't just think about diabetes as the mainstay of the thing that you're looking for for that funding. Think about how the tenders work and can complement what you actually already provide. Think outside the square. That's all I can say is, is, is think of things that might work. I'll give you an example is that we, um, we, there was a position provide, um, advertised at the hospital here in Toowoomba for a credential diabetes educator to be part of a program called the Diabetes Model of Care. And I looked at that and thought, now how can we, what can we do? How can we actually um, tap into this? So I applied as AH Diabetes for the position of a CDE and we got it. So we actually got funded for one position of a CDE to provide that service. Now they got a good deal because we didn't have to take holidays. We had five credential diabetes educators that could fill in at any time for that service. They got five credential diabetes educators for the price of one, more or less. But we got funded for one year, actually 18 months of, of a position. So that was, you know, more coffers into the, into the business that helped that helped us survive. So think about what you can do. Think about how it can work for you. Thanks so much for your time today, Lynn, and that's, it's really been immensely helpful, I think. And that's actually all the questions that I have for you today. But just before we finish this conversation, do you have three take-home messages for our listeners regarding private practice, please? I suppose um, the thing that I would I would like people to take home is Give yourself time to create the practice that you want. Have your dream and work towards that dream. Have a practice. If you have patience, you'll then have patience. Respect yourself and everyone you deal with. Don't belittle yourself, but always don't, but also don't hold yourself um, above everyone else. And above all, I suppose, listen and learn and look and work out what's going to work for you. Thank you, Jan, for your time today and thank you to ADA for asking me to speak on this topic. I've um, really enjoyed it and I hope other people will enjoy it as well. Thanks, Lynn, and once again for your time and it really has been great to talk to you. And I'm sure that this podcast has certainly inspired our listeners to take the next steps towards establishing a private practice, as daunting as that may be. And thank you to you, the members, for taking time to listen to this podcast. So until next time, goodbye and thank you to you, Lynn. Thank you.